section twenty one of jurisprudence this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox org recording by kathleen jurisprudence by john selmond section one hundred five in corporal possession hitherto we have limited our attention to the case of corporal possession we have now to consider in corporal and to seek the generic conception which includes both these forms for i may possess not the land itself but a way over it or the access of light from it or the support afforded by it to my land which adjoins it so also i may possess powers privileges immunities liberties offices dignities services monopolies all these things may be possessed as well as owned they may be possessed by one man and owned by another they may be owned and not possessed or possessed and not owned corporal possession is as we have seen the continuing exercise of a claim to the exclusive use of a material object in corporal possession is the continuing exercise of a claim to anything else the thing so claimed may be either the non-exclusive use of a material object for example a way or other servitude over a piece of land or some interest or advantage unconnected with the use of material objects for example a trademark a patent or an office of profit in each kind of possession there are the same two elements required namely the animus and the corpus the animus is the claim the self-assertive will of the possessor the corpus is the environment of fact in which this claim has realized embodied and fulfilled itself possession whether corporal or incorporal exists only when the animus possidendi has succeeded in establishing a continuing practice in conformity to itself nor can any practice be said to be continuing unless some measure of future existence is guaranteed to it by the facts of the case the possession of a thing is the de facto condition of its continuous and secure enjoyment in the case of corporal possession the corpus possessionis consists as we have seen in nothing more than the continuing exclusion of alien interference coupled with the ability to use the thing oneself at will actual use of it is not essential i may lock my watch in a safe instead of keeping it in my pocket and though i do not look at it for twenty years i remain in possession of it none the less for i have continuously exercised my claim to it by continuously excluding other persons from interference with it in the case of incorporal possession on the contrary since there is no such claim of exclusion actual continuous use and enjoyment is essential as being the only possible mode of exercise i can acquire and retain possession of a right-of-way only through actual and repeated use of it in the case of incorporal things continuing non-use is inconsistent with possession though in the case of corporal things it is consistent with it incorporal possession is commonly called the possession of a right and corporal possession is distinguished from it as the possession of a thing the roman lawyers distinguished between possessio juris and possessio corporis 
and the germans between reichsbesitz and zeckenbesitz adopting this nomenclature we may define incorporal possession as the continuing exercise of a right rather than as the continuing exercise of a claim the usage is one of great convenience but it must not be misunderstood to exercise a right means to exercise a claim as if it were a right there may be no right in reality and where there is a right it may be vested in some other person and not in the possessor if i possess a way over another's land it may or may not be a right of way and even if it is a right of way it may be owned by someone else though possessed by me similarly a trademark or a patent which is possessed and exercised by me may or may not be legally valid it may exist de facto and not also de jure and even if legally valid it may be legally vested not in me but in another the distinction between corporal and incorporal possession is clearly analogous to that between corporal and incorporal ownership corporal possession like corporal ownership is that of a thing while incorporal possession like incorporal ownership is that of a right now in the case of ownership we have already seen that this distinction between things and rights is merely the outcome of a figure of speech by which a certain kind of right is identified with the material thing which is its object a similar explanation is applicable in the case of possession the possession of a piece of land means in truth the possession of the exclusive use of it just as the possession of a right-of-way over land means the possession of a certain non-exclusive use of it by metonymy the exclusive use of the thing is identified with the thing itself though the non-exclusive use of it is not thus we obtain a distinction between the possession of things and the possession of rights similar to that between the ownership of things and the ownership of rights in essence therefore the two forms of possession are identical just as the two forms of ownership are possession in its full compass and generic application means the continuing exercise of any claim or right section one hundred six relation between possession and ownership possession says herring is the objective realization of ownership it is in fact what ownership is in right possession is the de facto exercise of a claim ownership is the de jure recognition of one a thing is owned by me when my claim to it is maintained by the will of the state as expressed in the law it is possessed by me when my claim to it is maintained by my own self-assertive will ownership is the guarantee of the law possession is the guarantee of the facts it is well to have both forms of security if possible and indeed they normally coexist but where there is no law or where the law is against a man he must content himself with the precarious security of the facts even when the law is in one's favor it is well to have the facts on one side also beati possidentes possession therefore is the de facto counterpart of ownership it is the external form in which rightful claims normally manifest themselves the separation of these two things is an exceptional incident due to accident wrong or the special nature of the claims in question 
possession without ownership is the body of fact uninformed by the spirit of right which usually accompanies it ownership without possession is right unaccompanied by that environment of fact in which it normally realizes itself the two things tend mutually to coincide ownership strives to realize itself in possession and possession endeavors to justify itself as ownership the law of prescription determines the process by which through the influence of time possession without title ripens into ownership and ownership without possession withers away and dies speaking generally ownership and possession have the same subject matter whatever may be owned may be possessed and whatever may be possessed may be owned this statement however is subject to important qualifications there are claims which may be realized and exercised in fact without receiving any recognition or protection from the law there being no right vested either in the claimant or in any one else in such cases there is possession without ownership for example men might possess copyrights trademarks and other forms of monopoly even though the law refused to defend those interests as legal rights claims to them might be realized de facto and attain some measure of security and value from the facts without any possibility of support from the law conversely there are many rights which can be owned but which are not capable of being possessed they are those which may be termed transitory rights which do not admit of continuing exercise do not admit of possession either they cannot be exercised without being thereby wholly fulfilled and destroyed therefore they cannot be possessed a creditor for example does not possess the debt that is due him for this is a transitory right which in its very nature cannot survive its exercise but a man may possess an easement over land because its exercise and its continued existence are consistent with each other it is for this reason that obligations generally that is to say rights in personam as opposed to rights in rem do not admit of possession it is to be remembered however that repeated exercise is equivalent in this respect to continuing exercise i may possess a right of way through repeated acts of use just as i may possess a right of light or support through continuous enjoyment therefore even obligations admit of possession provided that they are of such a nature as to involve a series of repeated acts of performance we may say that a landlord is in possession of his rents an annuant of his annuity a bondholder of his interest or a master of the services of his servant we may note finally that although incorporal possession is possible in fact of all continuing rights it by no means follows that the recognition of such possession or the attribution of legal consequences to it is necessary or profitable in law to what extent incorporal possession exists in law and what consequences flow from it are questions which are not here relevant but touch merely the details of the legal system section one hundred seven possessory remedies in english law possession is a good title of right against any one who cannot show a better a wrongful possessor has the rights of an owner with respect to all persons except earlier possessors and except the true owner himself many other legal systems however 
go much further than this and treat possession as a provisional or temporary title even against the true owner himself even a wrongdoer who is deprived of his possession can recover it from any person whatever simply on the ground of his possession even the true owner who retakes his own may be forced in this way to restore it to the wrongdoer and will not be permitted to set up his own superior title to it he must first give up possession and then proceed in due course of law for the recovery of the thing on the ground of his ownership the intention of the law is that every possessor shall be entitled to retain and recover his possession until deprived of it by a judgment according to law legal remedies thus appointed for the protection of possession even against ownership are called possessory while those available for the protection of ownership itself may be distinguished as proprietary in the modern and medieval civil law the distinction is expressed by the contrasted terms peditorium a proprietary suit and possessorium a possessory suit this duplication of remedies with the resulting provisional protection of possession as its beginning in roman law it was taken up into the canon law where it received considerable extensions and through the canon law it became a prominent feature of medieval jurisprudence it is still received in modern continental systems but although well known to the earlier law of england it has been long since rejected by us as cumbrous and unnecessary there has been much discussion as to the reasons on which the provisional protection of possession is based it would seem probable that the considerations of greatest weight are the three following one the evils of violent self-help are deemed so serious that it must be discouraged by taking away all advantages which any one derives from it he who helps himself by force even to that which is his own must restore it even to a thief the law gives him a remedy and with it he must be content this reason however can be allowed as valid only in a condition of society in which the evils and dangers of forcible self-redress are much more formidable than they are at the present day it has been found abundantly sufficient to punish violence in the ordinary way as a criminal offence without compelling a rightful owner to deliver up to a trespasser property to which he has no manner of right and which can be forthwith recovered from him by due course of law in the case of chattels indeed our law has not found it needful to protect possession even to this extent it seems that an owner who retakes a chattel by force acts within his legal rights forcible entry upon land however is a criminal offence two a second reason for the institution of possessory remedies is to be found in the serious imperfections of the early proprietary remedies the procedure by which an owner recovered his property was cumbrous dilatory and inefficient the path of the claimant was strewn with pitfalls and he was lucky if he reached his destination without disaster the part of plaintiff in such an action was one of grave disadvantage and possession was nine points of the law no man therefore could be suffered to procure for himself by violence the advantageous position of defendant and to force his adversary by such means to assume the dangerous and difficult post of plaintiff the original position of affairs must first be restored 
possession must first be given to him who had it first then and not till then would the law consent to discuss the titles of the disputants to the property in question yet however cogent such considerations may have been in earlier law they are now of little weight with a rational system of procedure the task of the plaintiff is as easy as that of the defendant the law shows no favor to one rather than to the other three a third reason for possessory remedies closely connected with the second is the difficulty of the proof of ownership it is easy to prove that one has been in possession of a thing but difficult in the absence of any system of registration of title to prove that one is the owner of it therefore it was considered unjust that a man should be allowed by violence to transfer the heavy burden of proof from his own shoulders to those of his opponent every man should bear his own burden he who takes a thing by force must restore it to him from whom he has taken it let him then prove if he can that he is the owner of it and the law will then give to him what it will not suffer him to take for himself but english law has long since discovered that it is possible to attain this end in a much more satisfactory and reasonable way it adjusts the burden of proof of ownership with perfect equity without recourse to any such anomaly as the protection of the possessor against the owner this it does by the operation of the three following rules one prior possession is prima facie proof of title even in the ordinary proprietary action a claimant need do nothing more than prove that he had an older possession than that of the defendant for the law will presume from this prior possession a better title qui prior est tempore portior est jure two a defendant is always at liberty to rebut this presumption by proving that the better title is in himself three a defendant is not allowed to set up the defense of jus tertii as it is called that is to say he will not be heard to allege as against the plaintiff's claim that neither the plaintiff nor he himself but some third person is the true owner let every man come and defend his own title as between a and b the right of c is irrelevant by the joint operation of these three rules the same purpose is effected as was sought in more cumbrous fashion by the early duplication of proprietary and possessory remedies summary of chapters thirteen and fourteen possession in fact possessio naturalis in law possessio civilis possession in law season possession corporeal possessio corporis second visits incorporeal possessio juris reich visits corporeal possession the continuing exercise of a claim to the exclusive use of a material thing elements of corporeal possession animus sibi habendi corpus animus sibi habendi one not necessarily a claim of right two must be exclusive three not necessarily a claim to use as owner four not necessarily a claim on one's own behalf five not necessarily specific corpus the effective realization of the animus in a security for enjoyment elements of the corpus one a relation of the possessor to other persons amounting to a security for their non-interference the grounds of such security one physical power two personal presence three secrecy four custom 
five respect for rightful claims six manifestation of the animus seven protection afforded by other possessions the rights of a finder two a relation of the possessor to the thing possessed amounting to a security for the use of the thing at will possession immediate without the intervention of another person mediate through or by means of another person mediate possession one through servants or agents two through baileys or tenants at will three through persons claiming temporary possession for themselves the relation between the mediate and the immediate possessor the exclusiveness of possession exceptional instances of duplicate possession one mediate and immediate possession two possession in common three corporeal and incorporeal possession the acquisition of possession one taking two delivery actual constructive traditio brevi manu constitutum possessorium atonement possession not necessarily the physical power of exclusion incorporeal possession its nature the continuing exercise of any claim save one to the exclusive use of a corporeal thing its relation to the corporeal possession the generic conception of possession the relation between possession and ownership possession the de facto exercise of a claim ownership the de jure recognition of one the identity of the objects of ownership and possession exceptions one things which can be possessed but cannot be owned two things which can be owned but cannot be possessed possessory remedies one their nature two their objects three their exclusion from english law end of section twenty one